0: You can turn in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. For the next four weeks, as I said, we're going to be in a uh, little mini-series on stewardship uh, and something that we do each year in the lead-up to the Thanksgiving. Um, And, you know, before, like, also the thing that we do each year, the last couple of years, is that the officers all get together, um, and we did so this last spring to kind of decide on a mission emphasis for the coming year, uh, that of ministry. And it's just, this is just simply something from our philosophy of ministry, which is basically the why behind the what that we do as a church, um, something from our philosophy of ministry that we try to focus on as a church in the coming year. And it's something that will not only, um, hopefully align our ministry efforts in a unified direction, but help uh, our hearts align as well in purpose as, as we really do look at this church and, and one another as a, a community. Uh, we are a church family after all. And so, given everything that we have been through the last year and uh, that everyone has been through in the last uh, 18 months or so, uh, we have landed on this as our mission emphasis for the coming year of ministry. And it's not too different from the, the year before, except we've added these two words, restoring and advancing our life together as prophets, priests, and kings. We really do see our calling as followers of Jesus, as those who follow after him, as he executes these offices of prophets, priests, and kings. He, he declares what is true from God. Uh, he, he acts as a medi- mediator and a mediator between a sinful man and a holy God, and he rules and reigns over all the, the universe. And he he calls us into those offices as we are called to declare his truth. We are called to pray uh, for the world and to be the, the, the declarers of the gospel in the world through our lives and deeds and words. And then he also gives us authority in the world to, to carry out the ministry that he has called us to. And so, now, that's our mission emphasis in the coming, uh, the coming year. And so for this next four weeks, we're going to be looking at stewardship from the perspective of gospel-centered stewardship. And so uh, that is the, the theme for this month of, of sermon series. And this morning, we're going to look at what it, what it means to be a gospel-centered community uh, as a church. In the coming weeks, we'll look at our our gospel-centered activity. We'll look at gospel-centered worship. We'll look at gospel-centered mission. And then, as I said earlier, on the 21st, kind of uh, in there, we were going to have this vision meeting in which… We, we look at not only the vision and direction for the coming year and our hopes and dreams for what ministry is gonna look like at Grace Community Church in the coming year, but also uh, it is a time when we look at the resources, the budget that we have been given by the Lord and that we are counting on to be able to carry out that ministry. We don't ever wanna divorce the, the practicalities of things like budgets and facilities and, and schedules and calendars from the more important understanding of why it is that we're doing these things. And so we try to tie those things together very closely, even as we celebrate together on the 21st. So please do mark that date on your calendar uh, and plan to, uh, to come to church and stay for Sunday school and then stay beyond that for our fellowship meal uh, on the 21st. So we're, one of the things we're hopefully going to be able to do this coming month is to really just pause pause and remember the previous year. There's a lot to remember. There's a lot that we have been through. Uh, we thought we were kind of coming through something uh, with the end of 2020, uh, only to find out that 2021 held even more adventures for us. And if you're visiting with us, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what those were uh, in, in just a little bit. But what we have seen for sure is God's goodness and provision. But we've done some struggling We've done some lamenting together, and we're still lamenting in, in lots of ways. So I hope you'll, you'll make it a point to, to come on during this month, and, and I hope you'll make it a point to use the devotional guide. It's really very simple, and, and hopefully will be the start of something uh, as, as you never stop starting family devotions is sort of the theme uh, in my life and in my families. But, but as we think about stewardship in the church, as we think about what that word means and how it's used in the church, it's, it's not just, and we really do believe this, it is not just about growing the church coffers or squeezing more volunteer hours out of our people each week. But gospel-centered stewardship, which is what we're really aiming for, has to be about the gospel, obviously the gospel and its transforming work in our lives. In other words, our stewardship must be a joyful response to receiving something. We receive something first, which is so much more valuable than anything we could give. And so our text for this month is going to be Jeremiah 29, but going along with that is Ephesians 3. Uh, and Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says... So that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think that's important because when we comprehend the, the dimensions of Christ's love and mercy which has been given to us in the gospel, there becomes nothing that is ours which we wouldn't give if called to by him to give it freely, joyfully, as Christ gave himself freely and joyfully. So let me read Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14, and then we'll be referring to Ephesians 3 um, as we go along. Yeah, but, but follow along, Jeremiah 29, three. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. from which I have sent you into into exile. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the thing that I want us to focus on this morning is this idea that gospel centered stewardship takes place within the context of gospel centered community and we want to un, kind of unpack a little bit about what what does that look like what does that mean to live in a gospel centered community? what are those, those things that we have in common as brothers and sisters in Christ and this is by no means obviously an, an exhaustive list, but I do have three things that I want us to, to look at this morning as to why we give in the context of a gospel centered community. And the reasons are, number one, that we have a shared gospel identity. We have a shared gospel mission and a shared gospel future. As this, as this gospel-centered community of God's people, we have a shared gospel identity. And so that motivates and energizes our stewardship of the things that God has given us. And all, the, a lot of the words, three words that you're going to be hearing a lot this week or this month are time, talent, and treasure, right? Those are the Traditionally, the things that we look at in terms of what we are stewards of as followers of Jesus, but we do, we have this shared gospel identity. I want you to just take a minute and look around, look around you. <laughs> look at the walls of this room. Look at the floor. What is what is on the floor now? There's carpet on the floor. <laughs> what, is, what is on the wall? <laughs> there's, there's drywall on the walls. Like, look at the pews you are sitting in. Let's all take a moment and say a prayer for the pews that you're sitting in. Um, we need them to last a little bit longer, uh, but but we have pews, we have we have carpeting, we have drywall. Uh, in February of last year, during the big snowstorm and ice storm, we had a pipe burst, if you're a visitor with us. And every square inch of this church was flooded with about two to three inches of water. And every, every uh, surface of wall was stripped down to the studs to about a third of the way up the wall. And every piece of flooring has been Uh, scraped away and replaced and it was uh, it was nine months so far and counting um, of of rebuilding and recovering they just just take this is my favorite part of the whole thing kind of breathe in with your mouth and taste the air it doesn't immediately turn (laughs) your tongue into uh, paste because it tastes like drywall dust right that's one of my most thankful moments of being in here. Uh, but what has happened to this church in the last year that also happened to the Israelites? We were exiled. <laughs> we were literally exiled. We've literally been exiled and then restored to the promised land, right, so to speak. And that's one of the reasons that I chose this text to focus on this, this November during our our stewardship, uh, sermon series. And for the next four weeks, Judah has been exiled to Babylon and history for them seems to be flowing backwards for God's people. When I mean, we think about the history of the nation of Israel, the history of God's people, where does it start? Go all the way back to Abraham. Where does Abraham come from? He comes from Ur of the Chaldeans, Babylon. Abraham is called out of Babylon into the promised land, and and there as he wanders, uh, promises are made to him by God that that your your offspring will be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, and and I'm going to give you every bit of this land as far as your eyes can see, and wherever you go, wherever your foot trods, I'm going to give you that land. and. And then Israel does grow and they they do grow into a great nation in the land of Egypt where they are slaves and they are redeemed from that slavery into the land of Egypt. And then they were ultimately given this land that was promised to Abraham, right? And what has just happened? The sands of time seem to be flowing in reverse, all these things are, are being undone. They are given this reverse exodus and they go all the way back to the land of Babylon where they are made slaves again. And, and here's, that's why there's all these weird names that we read in verse three, because they're in this, this foreign place. And Jeremiah is writing a letter to these exiles as they are taken to this foreign uh, land that was sent by Elasa. And, and yet, in the middle of this letter that Jeremiah writes, there's all this hope. There's this great hope and this great promise because what hasn't changed in all of this? It's the identity of the people. They're still God's people. And their identity as God's people is never in question yeah, they are suffering the consequences of generations of idolatry and unfaithfulness and covenant, covenant breaking on their part. And, and yet God is doing to them in exile what he said that he would do. He is giving them the consequences that he has laid out for them. But what is he not doing? He's not revoking their identity as his people. He's not forsaking them completely. He's not—he's not abandoning them as their covenant God, even though they, for generations, abandoned Him. God is in control still, and it's hard to see, especially in the midst of crisis. It's hard to—it's hard to remember that in the midst of. Of the fear and the worry and the anxiety of crisis. But he is in control. Verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. In verse 1 of, of Jeremiah 29, it's Nebuchadnezzar who goes and takes them and brings them into Babylon, brings them into exile. But here in verse 4, it's God says, I have sent you into exile. And Jeremiah's message to the exiles is God is in control. This exile, although it's not going to end soon, but even in exile, you are my people. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. We give as exiles in a strange land who are dependent upon a sovereign God who has not abandoned us. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for a welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that's one of those verses that we, we often crochet on pillows or needlepoint and hang them, you know, above your toilet or whatever, But, like, what's the context of that? It's spoken to a people whose homes have been destroyed, whose families have been killed in war. They are forced to march hundreds of miles to a foreign land from which they will never return. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. And he doesn't just say it, he he shouts it. He shouts that sentence. In, In the Hebrew, that sentence is emphatic. I know the plans I have. I know that I know that I know declares the Lord that even now you are still mine. It's this identity that makes the idea of stewardship how you use your time and talent and treasure in service of the Lord, something which is not a performance burden. It's the truth that our identity is in what God has done and is doing. Our identity as, G- as Christians is in what Christ has done for us that makes our stewardship gospel-centered rather than me-centered rather than performance-centered, rather than something we do to try to, to earn the favor of God, to make him love us more or be pleased with us, or to make it up to him for something bad that we've done. But it means also that we're called to give. We really are. We are called to give and to give sacrificially of our, our time, our talent, and our treasure There's a great blessing in that, that we are called to participate in what he is doing in the church and outside the church and in the world and in his redemptive purposes. But there's only blessing and joy in giving as a response to receiving the overwhelming treasure of new life in Christ. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So we give because we have a shared gospel identity. We give because we have a shared gospel mission. Israel Israel has always had a mission. There There is in the Bible kind of what I think of as Israel's great commission uh, Israel's Matthew twenty-eight, right, uh, and and you find it in Exodus nineteen, which is right after the the Red Sea crossing and sort of this this covenant renewal and initiation uh, with Moses and the people. And but here's what God says to them in Exodus nineteen four through six: You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, talking about the flood and the flight from Egypt, or the the Red Sea rather, and the, and the flight from Egypt how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I think it's very interesting that, that he, even though he's promised them a land, he's not saying how I've brought you to this place. But he says, I brought you to myself. Not to a place, but to a person, to their, to their redeemer God, right? And this identity and the redemptive work of God for them is what, what makes the, the next part of this passage uh, work. Because he says, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, their mission was as these representatives to to carry out the representative activity of God's, as God's special people among all the nations of the earth. If you think about geographically where Israel is located on the, the eastern shore of the Mediterranean, at that point, that was the crossroads of the world. Everyone going from North Africa up to the Near East and Asia and the Middle East and around had to pass through Uh, Israel if they were going by land and so they were God's representatives that 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 priestly representative mission and activity is still theirs it hasn't changed because their identity as God's special redeemed people hasn't changed even though they're now in exile God gives his people an assignment even as he leads them into exile Assignment number one, Jeremiah, back to Jeremiah 29, live your lives in the land of your exile. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. You know, that's not, that's not very radical, um, you know, but that's what it is. Live your life. Settle down and plant roots in Babylon. In other words, move as quickly as possible from being refugees to residents not compromising their identity as God's people, but re- recognizing that, that God has them in Babylon for a purpose. Yep, part of that purpose is punishment for their generations of idolatry, but it's, it's also then to fulfill their mission as his redemptive representatives, his priestly people. Assignment number two, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. Verse six, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. I mean, does that remind you of any other parts of the Bible? That's Genesis language, right? The, the cultural mandate to, to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God's, and also God's promise to Abraham is still in effect. He is still making them to be a fruitful people that, that, it's, that, that, that they will be a people that outnumbers the stars or the sand. So assignment number two is to be fruitful. So live your life, be fruitful and multiply. Assignment number three is a little bit harder. Bless the land of your exile. This is this is really where the rubber meets the road as far as their mission is concerned. Because yeah, okay, it's one thing to kind of settle down for the long haul and put down roots and have families and and you know, but it's something else in verse seven to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare again, there's this language, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Their identity as God's people comes with the mission to represent him, but their salvation isn't only for themselves. In other words, they are planted as God's redeemed people for this purpose. God's people are to live their otherwise ordinary lives in service to their pagan Babylonian neighbors. One commentator said they are to go from being mourners to missionaries. I mean, how can God ask them to do that? How can God ask them to to pray for their enemies who have destroyed their land and taken them captive? I mean, that is a a difficult task, if not impossible. Unless your identity is in your sovereign redeeming God unless God in some way uses his redemptive work in your life to change you and transform you we too are called to give because we are in a community of mission and we have been as Ephesians 3:16 says strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being And verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We need need the spirits working to be this community of shared mission. One of the ways that you can give of your time is through prayer. One of the things that God calls the people to do in exile is to pray, pray for the city it's one of the things that he calls us to do as as exiles. Pray, pray for this church. Pray for her officers. Pray for those people that are sitting around you in the pews. Uh, pray for our mission and our ministry. Pray for your neighbors that the gospel will take root. That the Lord would give you opportunity to to share it with them. Pray also that your homes would become places of gospel warmth and hospitality. Praying for God's work in the world. Pray for his missions and missionaries. So we give because we have a shared gospel identity. We have a shared gospel mission. We also have a shared gospel future. Verses 12 and 13 in Jeremiah again, he says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore to you your former your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The gospel is going to transform the hearts of God's people in exile. That, that, that as they, as they go through their time of exile, they will cease being this people of idolatry and unfaithfulness, and they will again learn through this discipline of the Lord, this loving, graceful discipline of the Lord. Uh, the transforming work of, of his redemption. And they are, they are now going to start calling on God in prayer. They're going to start seeking him with all of their heart. There is, there is heart change that has taken place and that will take place in the midst of their exile. That restoration is happening. There's a renewal of their relationship with their covenant God. What a comfort! What a comfort to know that even, even in the, the bitter fruit of our sinning, there is grace in transforming God's people into being more like Him. And that even in our exile to a foreign land, God hears us. In our exile, He can still be found, and He will gather us together again from our exile. There's freedom in this exile to give freely and to be spent because of this guaranteed future, because of this promise that is ours, because that future is not dependent upon our performance, because that future is based upon the merits of what Jesus has done for us, because we are called and empowered in a gospel-centered community to die to self and to sacrifice everything in joyful response to our redeeming, faithful God. Exile is not the people of Israel's permanent state. And it's not our permanent state. God promises his people that they will, they will cry out in prayer and he will be heard by Him By them. No matter what the the temple, no matter no matter that no matter that the temple and that Jerusalem were destroyed, that that their prayers are still going to reach the ear of God. I often I often don't want to pray. It's hard to pray. I've said this before. This comforts me (laughs) because even in those times and in those places, when in my own heart, I just I don't want to do it. It feels like a waste of time. It feels like there's something more productive that I could be doing. God hears us. He hears me when I exile myself from him. He hears me. He is found by me. This promise should make us long to pray that, that God, in this sense, goes into exile with his people. We know that in Christ, by becoming an exile himself, he redeems his people from exile. And truly this table this morning is set before us by the one who became an exile from all the riches and glory in heaven so that he might gather together his exiled people into his presence and bring us home into that place where we will dwell with God forever. And one of the things that he calls us to do in response to that glorious truth is to to live our lives in gospel-centered stewardship, giving freely, as freely as he gave of himself, of our time, our talent, and our treasure, so that more exiles might be gathered together as God's people and that he might use us to make that day in which we are all brought home forever all the more glorious because of all of the voices of all of the people who are lifted up in song and in worship to our God who made himself an exile for us. If that is you, if you know that you're an exile in need of redemption, this table is set for you. If you know the one who is calling you and gathering you to himself through his own broken body and shed blood, this table is set for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us in preparing not just a place for us to dwell with you forever, but uh, our heavenly bridegroom with whom we will dwell forever. The Lord Jesus, thank you for his great love and mercy and care for all of your people who, who long to be with you. Lord, grow in our hearts that desire to be, to be in your presence Even as we gather each week around this table, Lord, thank you that uh, it represents for us uh, an appetizer, a dress rehearsal of, of that one day, someday glorious, glorious time when we will ultimately be seated around your table feasting with our bridegroom in celebration, not of what we have done, not of what we have accomplished, not of our goodness and holiness, but of his. And his mercy to give it and to grant it and to forgive and to to love a sinful and wayward people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.